We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. All right, I think we're back in. Let's grab our seats. Awesome. Um, if, if you were at conference this week, you, you more than likely might have heard Paul speak. And uh, we're a part of the Australian Christian churches. That's, that's the movement we fit in as a church. And, you know, the thousands or so churches across Australia. And Paul's actually the head of ACC in New South Wales, over about 300 churches. But he's also our leader in our movement in community engagement. And it's not just something he does, it's something he lives and breathes. Uh, He was the chaplain of the Illawarra Hawks National Basketball League team for 17 years. And that's a professional sports team. And he lives and breathes community. And uh, uh, I don't know about you, if you heard him this week, you're just encouraged but challenged. Uh, it's like a slap and a hug at the same time. And, uh, and it, we need that. We need it. And sometimes we get used to life and can used to country life, used to church life. We need to be shaken up a bit and encouraged but challenged but inspired. And so uh, I'm praying and believing he's going to do it today. Can we just welcome Paul? Thanks, mate. Thank you. A slap and a hug. Well, that's... Uh could be an interesting day, couldn't it? If that's uh, what I'm about to deliver, I don't know about that. It's been great being with you and your church. And you know you're part of an amazing church, right? You know that? I'm just checking. That was a bit of a weak response, by the way. I, just, I might say that again. You know you're a part of an amazing church, don't you? Yes. I'm not, I'm not joking either because I get to be like, one of my unique uh, opportunities. Of course, I get to be in lots and lots of churches, not just around New South Wales, around Australia, but even around the world. And uh, for me, a, a church that, for example, uh, uses their building not just for Sundays but for community, tick, that's a good idea. I tell every church, every pastor that I'm teaching around community engagement, I always say this, don't build a church, build a community centre and have church in it. Did you know, according to Mark McCrindle, his stats say this, that if you, when they surveyed Australians to find out what they want more of in terms of spaces and buildings that they can hang out in, uh, number one was recreational parks, number three is community centres, number ten is off-leash dog parks, number thirteen, last on the list, number thirteen, of what Australians want more of is church buildings. So... Did you know that Australians want more off-leash dog parks than they want churches? Maybe. Maybe we should close this down and get an off-leash dog park going. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's how we reach people. What it means is this, that if third on the list is community centres, it makes sense that churches provide more of those, that's what Australians want more of, that doesn't preclude us from uh, doing church, but it allows other people to be a part of our buildings. I'm a part of a church called Lighthouse, lighthouse in Wollongong. Who's heard of Wollongong? Wollongong is the 10th largest city. I I won't show any photos. I don't want to upset you. It's too beautiful. Uh, Illawarra, Illawarra, which is the region I live in, is indigenous for between the mountain and the sea. I have uh, anybody in Wollongong, I can drive 10 minutes, I'm up on the mountaintop, or I can drive 10 minutes, I'm at the ocean. And as I've been saying since I've been here, I'm not used to such flat land. I have, we have a massive escarpment uh, that runs right up. So we, the moment I get, leave the beach, we go up about 150 metres. We have huge waves and uh, all that sort of thing going on. So for me, 
it, and I'm in this beautiful little uh, Airbnb that uh, somebody uh, graciously gave to me while I was here, I keep thinking the water's going to come in the house. Because it's weird to me that the house is at the same level as the ocean. I'm, I'm expecting some sort of tidal force. I'm expecting to be floating on my bed midnight out into the ocean. You live in a beautiful area, but this is a great church too because of how many people are gathering here today in a, what is essentially a small town. That's a great thing as well. And you know, uh, Darren and Kerry, they do a great job because they love their community and they're involved in their community during the week. And I really want to encourage you that you do have a great church and you shouldn't uh, ever take it for granted because actually I go to a lot of churches and not all of them are great, just quietly. But this one's a good one. I've been in my church since I was 11 years of age. I gave my heart to the Lord at six years of age in a Baptist church. My parents got baptised in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, and they were so excited about it, they told their Baptist minister, and he gave them the right foot of fellowship out of the door. And I landed at Lighthouse at 11 years of age. That's a nice way of saying he kicked him out. Uh, I landed at Lighthouse at 11 years of age. I became a leader at 13. My big job in leadership was to set the chairs up every Sunday and Friday at youth. I did that for two years. You have not seen such a straight row of chairs like I could do. I perfected the art of chair setter-uppering. I went on to be a youth leader there and uh, my background is I'm a carpenter builder. I did that for a number of years and uh, strangely became a pastor which was never on the list of things I thought I was going to do. I married the pastor's daughter. Who knows that's how you get the church? Right, don't worry about anointing or gifting. That's overrated. Just marry the pastor's daughter and eventually hang around long enough and eventually they give you the church. That's what happened. And I've been a senior pastor there, my wife and I, Annette, for 22 years. We've been married for 34 years. Married, got married when I was five. Anyone? No. I've got three adult kids. Jordan, he's 30. He's single. I should have brought a photo, girls, if you know anybody at all that is looking for a husband. He's very available. Come and see me afterwards. I'll see if I can hook you up with him at some point. My second son, Caleb, he's 28. He's a builder himself. And he got married when he was 20, like his dad. I got married at 20. And uh, he graciously gave me two grandchildren. How good are grandchildren? I totally, if I could have, I would have skipped the other part, having kids. I would have gone straight to grandkids. You know, I say to my little son, Teddy, his name's Teddy, and he comes over my house and I say, Teddy, it's nearly dinner time. Would you like a chocolate? <laughs> hey, how good's that? <laughs> I just, all the root, they're just out the door. Sometimes Teddy's naughty and I think to myself, I probably should discipline that. He's not my kid. I don't care. Just do it, do it, Teddy. I don't care. It's fantastic, isn't it, grandparents? It's just, the, it's like the perfect scenario. No responsibility, all fun. Great. I love it. Like, Teddy does things like, um, uh, he, you know, his, his mum lets him record, and, like, if I'm away, like, even down here, he, he can't say granddad because he's kind of, he, he'd never figured it out when he was two. So he calls me Rara. Rara. So he sends me a little video. Rara. I miss you. How good's that? I mean, my kids never did that. I was away once, overseas. Ten days into my trip, my daughter Sophie, my youngest, Sophie rings me, Dad, are you home tonight? Soph, I'm in America. She goes, how long have you been there? Don't even, and even noticed that I was gone. 
No wonder we like our grandkids. I tell you. When I inherited or took over the church from my father-in-law, it was a great church, by the way, they grew up in. It was very Pentecostal, I would say. A lot of demon busting, you know what that is? So a lot of altar calls, almost no Sunday without screaming demons coming out of people. And actually, when I took over the church, and I didn't really do that as much uh, growing up, after a while, people noticed people aren't screaming demons. They'd come in and say, Pastor Paul, uh, where have all, uh, what have you done with all the demons? Where have all the demons... <laughs> Where, where have all the demons gone? And I said, oh, no, you've still got them. Yeah. And so what we did was, not because I really planned to, it looks like, it looks like that we intentionally tried to grow a church that our city can't do without, which it is, honestly. Uh, a church that uh, 73%, 10, uh, Wollongong is the 10th largest city in Australia, and 73% of our community, when surveyed, identified Lighthouse as a church that helps people, 73% of non-Christians said that, not us. They said that we're different, we're different than any other church that they know. Lighthouse, a different light is our hashtag for our socials. And I never intended to do that. I guess growing up in the church, I would watch things and I would say to myself, eh, it's unusual that we would do that. We like it, but I don't think anybody else does. Or we love it, and that's going to scare somebody off. And, and so all I did was really just began to lead our church in a way that we turned everything we did internally and pushed it out so that people outside of the church could be introduced to Jesus as well. I don't have time to tell that whole story, other than that God has done um, amazing things across uh, the community. When our city is thinking about doing something in the community, or if they want a story about somebody's changed life, they ring us or they do a story on our church I just left with ABC Radio ringing me because our church had just, you know, at the moment, just last month, uh, you know how high petrol's gone. So our church corporately, they decided uh, that they would, when they go to pay for their fuel, uh, that they would pay for the person behind them. And we've to date done over $10,000 worth of fuel that we've given to other people. Uh, that's not something that uh, I create, that's something that my church do. And one of the things that sets us apart in that sense is that community is not done by the guy up the front, Paul Bartlett, but it's done by everybody in the church every day of the week. You know, I wrote a book called Thank God It's Monday, Sunday's Not Enough, because it's true. Because we've overemphasized Sundays and underemphasized Monday. Did you know whatever it is that you're going to do tomorrow, whether you're retired or not, working or not, whatever it is you do tomorrow is what God has called you to do. It's you never feel like you've got to leave the job you do and get a spiritual job like me, the pastor. You never have to leave your job to do a higher spiritual job to be spiritually fulfilled. You never have to go to that conference to get spiritually fulfilled. There's nothing wrong with conferences. You never have to go to that country to be spiritually fulfilled because God will spiritually fulfill you right where you are. We sometimes live like God's always got a carrot and if we could get to the carrot will be fulfilled. But actually, God wants to use you right in your place, right where you are with your personality, skill, your gifting, your talent, your location. He wants to use you right where you are. Did you know today is not the main game? You know, uh, Ben uh, introduced me as a chaplain, which I was for 17 years for a very tall basketball team. I'm the short guy. And while during that time, I, I, one of the privileges I had was obviously to be in the team room with the guys before and after the game. But at halftime, the coach would take all of the team out uh, to give them the pep talk. And I'd be there and I'd be listening to the coach. He'd say, hey, boys, 
if we, you know, we didn't do this very well, we need to adjust here. Um, if you do this, we're going to go better. But come on, hands in, hands in. We're going to go out and we're going to beat this team. We're going to go well. Second half. That's what this is. It's the halftime pep talk. Tomorrow's the real game. And whatever we believe this is the real game, this is where all of the spiritual work gets done, whatever you believe this is the pinnacle of your week, uh, then you miss the opportunity that God has for you tomorrow. I wrote my second book, Rethink It, and I want to talk about that today, Rethink It. I want to talk to you about how you should probably, if you're stuck in life, it's probably not the fact that you need more knowledge, it's probably that you need to unlearn what you currently know and relearn what God's trying to teach you. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, you can go to Romans 12 too. I want us to rethink personal growth today. Rethink personal growth. See, I, I think this, I think it's impossible to grow as a person either in your faith or as a person if all you ever do is add knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge. I think there are definitely key times in your life where you must unlearn, stop, rethink what you know and learn something new after you rethink it. And it says this, and we're going to go on an unlearning journey today, if that's okay. In Romans 12 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. We got that, good. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you Then, once you do that, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Isn't it funny that in church world, it often feels like we teach it's all about your spirit, it's all about your heart, you've got to get a bigger heart, you need to change your heart. But actually, I'm going to suggest to you today that once you're born again, that nearly all the work of transformation in your life occurs in your head, not your heart. That scripture says there, if you want to be transformed, you have to let God change your thinking. I don't know about you, man, but my, I was chatting to uh, the guys before the service and they were asking me about the basketball players and, and just, you know, how they think. And I've got to tell you, my major role as a chaplain for professional athletes who you would think are sharp in their thinking, disciplined, the biggest thing I had to do with them was to help them think properly. Their thinking was messed up all the time. They'd miss a shot and you could watch them drop their head and they couldn't refocus for the next five minutes of the game because they, their brain's telling them they failed, they're hopeless or they can't do it. And, and I was constantly having to get them to rethink how they think about life. And I'm going to do that with you today as well. By the way, if you don't know what your destiny is, maybe you're a young adult here today and you think, oh, I, I wish I had a vision. I wish I had a dream. I wish I knew what God wanted to do with me. I, I tell my young adults all the time in church, young people, I said, listen, you're overthinking that, right? Because actually destiny comes towards you when you walk with God. You, you don't wake up one morning and suddenly you, everything's clear, I know exactly what I need to do. I, I rarely know what to do. But all I do is just walk, take one step forward in, in God's current will for me. And another step, and another step. Because this scripture that I just read, it says, when you let God transform your thinking, then you'll figure out your destiny. Then you'll know what God has for you. 
but you've got to let him adjust your thinking. But did you know that Jesus was not necessarily on the earth to teach everybody? He was on the earth to get everybody to rethink. I'm going to prove it to you today. You take his disciples, right? Those poor disciples, they're like, they're teenagers, right? They, they meet Jesus and they're not very old, but what they have is they have hundreds of years of culture that has been handed to them and has shaped how they think and how they act. Hundreds of years. And then Jesus rocks up. He takes them up onto a mountain, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. He takes them up on the mountain and he starts saying things like this. Verse 38. This is so counterculture to what they've been taught for decades. says this. Hey, boys, you've heard it said that the punishment must match the injury. In other words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek. Do you understand the kind of unlearning to re required to take what you were told through hundreds of years of culture, which is what? If somebody punches you in the arm, punch them back. That's what they were taught. Jesus arrives and said, hey, listen, you know that hundreds of years of inbuilt culture that was handed to you as young men? You know that? It's done. We don't do it anymore. Yeah. I, in fact, it's not that we don't even do it. I'm telling you to do the exact opposite of what you've been told. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. And how wild is that? You know, he takes, uh, I, my favourite one is this, you know, Peter, Mr. Ego, thinks he knows the answer to every question. He gets like about one right out of about 20 he coughs up to Jesus. Jesus on the mountain and Peter, I can imagine Peter sitting there thinking, this is going to be my baby one day, this little tribe. I'll be leading these boys before they know it. Jesus goes, hey, just want to let you know, the meek, the meek are going to inherit the earth. What? I said at the conference this week, I said, what's, what's the word that rhymes with meekness? What, what do you think of when you think of meek? What rhymes with it? Weak. None of you are brave enough to say it then. Weakness. We think meekness is weakness. When was the last time you went for a job and at the top of your CV, as your number one quality, you put, my greatest attribute is I'm meek? Never, I bet. I bet the Australian Defence Force, when they're recruiting for new armed forces people, I, I, I bet when they put that prospectus out, at the top of the, the Australian Defence Force, it doesn't say we're looking for meek people. Because we think meekness is weakness. But Jesus said in front of Peter, uh, meek people will inherit the earth. Wow. But Jesus defines it this way. Meekness is power under control. It's, it's tamed for purpose. It's not losing your strength. It's, it's still, a, there's a sense of a wildness, like a wild horse has been tamed. You've still got all of your strength, but it's directed for purpose. You know the other thing while we're there on the mountain? Just let's stay on the mountain for a moment. Did you know, am I going to help you unlearn something here? Did you know that Jesus almost never did miracles for the disciples? Think about it for a moment. He did maybe, maybe two. So stop for a moment. So 98%, let's say, of all the miracles Jesus did, he did for the crowd. 
and he does 2% for the disciples. Don't you find that weird? I find that weird. You know, here's why I reckon it is. Because Jesus knows something. The crowd, in order to get them engaged, need instant. But with disciples, they need process. This, This is why fast church doesn't work. The greatest myth that we learned out of COVID, because crisis accelerates what we were doing slowly for decades, is the church corporately believed that what we're doing right now is discipleship and it's not. You cannot be discipled in a large group of people. It's impossible. Nor can you be discipled at speed. You have to do it slowly. So Jesus, so let's use that example. If Jesus does process with disciples, but he does miracles with the crowd. So what if, if, if he was in our world, Pentecostal world, Jesus is what Jesus would have done to Peter. Peter, I want you to step forward. You've got pride. In the name of myself, pride come out. That's what we would have done. But Peter doesn't need an instant soul with pride. He needs process. Peter needs to watch himself. I will never deny you, Jesus. He needs to watch himself do the very thing Jesus knew he was so that he could see his mistake and change it through process. You don't need a miracle. I believe in miracles. But what if you're waiting for a miracle, but what you need is process? What if what you're praying for, you want instantly, but because you're a disciple and not a crowd, Jesus is saying, no, no, I need to teach you through this process. We need to slow it down, because if you instantly get rid of that, you'll just go back into it, because you don't know why I need you to change or be transformed. When I don't get the miracle I want, I say to myself, I must be a disciple. Because Jesus has slowed my life down enough to give me process. Can I use a biblical example when I was writing Rethink It, which is, by the way, it says this, Rethink It, unlearning how we think to reach a changing world that's thinking less about church. Unless we change, unlearn what we know, the stats, which came out last week, that show that every five years there's a significant decline of those people who are calling themselves Christian in our nation. Unless we are willing to do things differently, that will continue all the way through. You know the story of Saul to Paul? I love that picture. To me, it's the greatest picture of transformation. But actually, can I use it today as an image of the season I think we find ourselves in? So here's Saul, right? So Saul, he's killing Christians. Woo! That's what he's doing. And what's worse is he believes God wants him to do it. So one of the things I discovered during the pandemic, don't have time, talk to the conference, but let me do it real quick, is isn't it, is it possible that if Saul is killing Christians and he thinks God told him to do it, is it possible that you and I could say or do things that we absolutely believe is God and good, but is not God and is not good? Is that possible? It's possible. But here we have this weird thing as Christians. We believe if I think it, my opinion, it must also be God's. Poor God. Poor God. I'm smart enough to know as a leader that there's some things I say and do I think are good in God. But I have to be smart enough to know there's probably some things I say and do that aren't good and are definitely not God. But I still might think so. So here's Saul. 
So he's on his way. You know the story. So he's on his way to Damascus. He's leaving Tarsus. And somewhere along the line there, he meets Jesus. The Bible says he falls to his knees, dazed. Let's read it. Saul picks him, and this is what happens at Acts verse 9. Saul picks himself up off the ground, but when he opens his eyes, he's blind. And so that someone else had to lead him to Damascus. I want to pause there. Did you know that the one thing I've seen Jesus do, both my whole life and throughout the Word of God, is he apprehends people and generations because he wants to change something. He wants you to rethink something. Who knows Saul... We now know he became not a Christian killer, he became somebody who led people to Christ, not killed them for Christ. That's a big change. And here he is, stuck in the middle. And I'm going to suggest to you that the last three years, nobody, nobody that we could physically point to has ever lived or is alive today that lived through a one in 100 year pandemic. Globally, the church stopped stop meeting. In New South Wales, you had it a bit easier here, but in New South Wales last year, we had 21 weeks locked down, no church. I wasn't allowed to go more than five kilometers from my home for 21 weeks. My WA friends, pastors ring me, say, Paul, we feel so sorry for you. They had one, they shut down once. We feel so sorry for you. I said, no, I feel sorry for you because we had to rethink everything we had to ask ourselves how do we still be the church when we don't meet because you know that you know the other myth we think a church is a building it's not it's people so i got people emailing me oh paul you know how's the church gonna survive you know with when we can't meet on sunday we've so reduced church to a one and a half hour gathering but you're the church every day of the week. You're not a, you won't stop being the church when you leave here. And I'm going to suggest to you today that Jesus apprehends you because he wants to change something about you and I. And I believe God allowed COVID to come so that the church globally could apprehend and ask itself questions. Did you know, not here, but mostly in New South, New South Wales and even in my ch- own church, that 30% of the church have not come back. In my church alone, 30% of people have just not... People that I have pastored for over 20 years have wholesale not come back to church, decided not to follow God anymore. I was just about to follow them all up. God told me not to. We've been following people up for years. Every time somebody, you know, it's just between you and I as a pastor... Gee, that's tiring, following Christians up, just so you know, just, I'm here to help you. That's tiring, man. Getting Christians to do what they should take responsibility to do themselves is absolutely exhausting. Oh, I'm tired just talking about it. But the reason, <laughs> I'm coming here for healing. <laughs> this is a safe place, isn't it? I, uh, you know why? Because the Lord told me this. Normally we do, and somebody preached on here, normally we go get the one and leave the 99. But the Lord gave me a different picture. He said, no, 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 Paul, this is more like the prodigal son. He said, see, the father let the son go, and he didn't chase after him because the son knows how to get home. 
And, and what happened when God apprehended his church is you and I as Christians, we got to make a choice. Are we Sunday Christians or are we authentically disciples of Christ? Which means that you don't need to be pushed to do Christ-like things. You recognize a disciple has disciplines. And I think that God apprehends, so here's Saul, he's killing Christians, he gets apprehended by Jesus, he's blind, he's dazed and he doesn't know what to do and here's our problem. We don't know what to do when we don't know what to do. I know, that's both profound, deep and makes no sense whatsoever, all at once. We don't know what to do when we don't know what to do so we do one of two things, and this is what scares me about the church globally. Most churches are just going, we're just hanging on during pandemic so we can get back to what we've always done. 90% of churches right now have got through and are saying, well, let's just go back to everything we did, which wasn't working, by the way, wasn't, wasn't reaching the community, Australia's attendance on the decline, less Christians than ever. It's all going the wrong way. But we've, we've ignored that completely. We've ignored that completely. We're on our knees. We don't know what to do. So when you don't know what to do, the safest thing to do is to go back to Tarsus, where everybody loves you. You know that it's familiar. The worst, the other thing you can do is, because you don't know what to do when you don't know what to do, is you make up what to do. And that's just, that can be just as bad. So you find your own way to Damascus. Do you know the season I think we're in right? What was the one thing the Apostle Paul did on that road? He got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he waited for the Holy Spirit to lead him into his next future. It's really hard for me to do that. I'm a type A, just to be honest. I'm a type A, task-orientated people person. I'm driven too, by the way. You know, I had to stop apologising for it and just realised I'm probably ADHD, but they didn't diagnose it back in the day. I, just like, I mean, what about me? I, you, you know, I was t joking with the conference, you know. They have one day off yesterday. I just drove for hours, trying to get lost, actually. That's what I do. I try to get lost. It's hard to get lost when there's no trees, people, just so you know. I'm driving down dirt roads and I'm trying to find stuff that's not on my GPS. I couldn't get lost for the life of me. The reason I like getting lost is because I'm full of curiosity. And if you've lost your curiosity, it's like the way we reach non-Christians. We feel like when, they, when, it, when a non-Christian, I've got lots of in my life, when, when they ask me a question, I don't answer it. I answer it with another question. Because I want to keep their curiosity. I've got a personal trainer. You might say, that's hard to believe. I have got a personal trainer. And when I first went to him, he asked me no questions for a year. Because you know, right, Jesus was asked over 200 questions and he only answered three of them properly. He answered every other question with another question. So my personal trainer, after about a year, he goes, are you involved with that church like, called Lighthouse? And instead of saying yes, I said, I don't know. What have you heard? And he said, oh, well, I was just chatting to one of the other guys and he said that you're part of Lighthouse. I said, I might be. He said, well, what, what, is, what is Lighthouse? I said, well, what did that person tell you it is? I kept him going for months. <laughs> he, 
as soon as, as soon as you answer the question, he just shuts down and he goes back to whatever he's doing. I just keep, keep asking questions, become like a coach. And here, here we are, and we've got to ask the question, what is it? I want to ask you, what is it God wants you to rethink about how you interact here? How you interact with your work? How you interact with those that are far from Christ? Do you even have any non-Christians in your life? Uh, is your world totally Christian? Then I would suggest you should rethink your friend circle and add some non-Christians into your life. What is it that God is apprehending you for? You can trust that if he is. And I think we've got to rethink the pause. I think the pause is good. I think the pause is God's grace to say, are we honest enough to say, is what we're doing, does it just suit us because we've been doing it for decades? Or are we willing to get uncomfortable inconvenience so people who are not yet in Christ might come to know Christ? Last thought and I'm done. We have to rethink cost. And they say, what? We can be over cost focused. You know, what it costs to be a part of a church or if they ask me to serve or they ask me to, you know, it's, uh, we overlook cost or we focus on cost rather instead of value. Here's a quick scripture. I love this image here, Mark 14, 3. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany, the home of Simon, a man who previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. Not sure whether that's good or bad. She broke open the jar, poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money uh, given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you and you can help, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. Jesus has she has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. You know, when I go to BCF, you got BCF? Yep. Boating, camping, fishing? Yep. I was going to say, I'd be a bit shocked if you didn't. What sort of state are you running down here? I can spend $300 without thinking, just so you know. And it excites me no end. I like come out feeling joyous that I've spent at least $300 for fishing. My wife goes to the hairdresser and spends $300 on her hair. I cannot believe she would spend so much. <laughs> I'm like, how on earth could you justify spending $300 on your hair? Because we all have different values. And Jesus is saying to this room, he said, listen, the problem with you guys is all you ever focus on is the cost of something and never the value. And if you want to be a generous person, you can never focus on cost. You have to focus on value. And did you know over the years we have, and we're not, by the way, we're not a massive church or anything, but per capita, our, our attitude is that our city, the people in it are worth the cost. They're more valuable than what it costs us. When I first took on the church, I said to my church, you know, in order to reach our community, uh, uh, every year we're going to take up a special offering 
Uh, and that offering is going to go out of our church. It's going to go to the community. I had people who'd been in church, you'd line up and say, Pastor Paul, if you ever ask us for money like that again, we're leaving. I said, really? Well, see ya. <laughs> because for me, the value of investing in people who are far from Christ so that they could come to Christ way outdoes the cost. And I want to encourage you today, what is it that you're not doing because all you focus on is cost when God wants you to focus on value? What is it that this church needs to do that might be costly, but in the long run for the next generation is highly valuable and you'd be willing to invest in it? You know, it's my prayer today as we finish. It's my prayer today that you are able to have the courage to rethink those things that moves you if you feel a bit stuck in your Christianity. I said to the conference floor this week, I said, guys, I want you to imagine the 2070 church. I know it seems weird, right? 50, 48 years away. But I said, did you know that the 2070 church is going to talk about you? They're going to talk, they're not talking about the 2015 church. Who cares? We did nothing. It was boring. Nothing was going on in the world. But 2020, when a one in 100 year pandemic hits, then the 2070 church are going to look back and they're going to talk about what we did and did not do. Were we the group of people that were so polarized by a season that we went back to everything we loved, nothing changed? Or are we, or are they going to say, thank God for the man? Because they looked at everything and they said, we just can't keep doing the same things that aren't working. And we have to change them up. And it might be a great personal adjustment for you. But for me, honestly, and that's why probably, as I finished, Ben said, Paul does a slap in the face as well. I'm probably the kind of guy that would rather be slapped in the face by the Holy Spirit now they have to give account for what I didn't do to the Lord later when I meet him in person. I want to be uncomfortable now so that my friends that don't know Jesus, every person, that's my prayer, honestly, my personal prayer, Lord, that every person you've got in my life that doesn't know Jesus, I want to die knowing I did everything I could to lead them to Christ. It's really inconvenient really uncomfortable but I wouldn't have it any other way what have you got to rethink today what you stand I'm going to pray for you this morning Father I thank you for every person there is not a person where they know you or not acknowledge you or not there is not a person in this room that your eyes aren't upon them lovingly caringly and Lord with a sense of purpose you want each one of us to live out of our daily calling, and each one of those callings looking completely different, yet ordained by you. So, Father, I pray right now, we said all we need now is the Holy Spirit, so we invite the Holy Spirit into this moment. And we ask you, Lord, would your Spirit speak to us now about those things we might need to unlearn, the things we need to rethink. They might be as simple as attitudes or thoughts, or they might be actions that we have to rethink. Lord, I ask for your help today, in Jesus' name, amen. Before I go, uh, I've got copies. This book here, if you're, it's really not for pastors, by the way, a lot of pastors buy it. It's actually for you if you have a normal job. We have weird jobs, pastors. 
but you have normal jobs. And it, I never want you to go to work ever thinking you've got a job. Your job is a calling. The moment you receive Christ, what you do during the week is a calling. Your job, there's no such thing as a spiritual or unspiritual job. There's no such thing. Because once you do whatever you do for the Lord, it's, it's automatically spiritual. He doesn't divide them up. So if you're not doing your Mondays with a sense of godly purpose, then thank God it's Monday's going to help you. Rethink it. Did you know we all talk, we talk to ourselves, or is that just me? No, it's all of us. Did you know we talk to ourselves? So my question is, what do you say to yourself? Because we all talk to ourselves. What do you say when you look in the mirror? And I want you to unlearn how you speak to yourself. The church has to unlearn power, by the way. That's another thing I wrote in this book. It's too male-orientated. There's way too many great female leaders that should be leading. You know, I've realized something, that when men get together in a room to make decisions and there's no females, we make bad decisions. Or we don't make our best decisions. And I, re I reckon globally. Did you know the day of the celebrity pastor is done? It's too much pressure. You can't, you can't be human and run, I mean it respectfully, you can't be human and run these mega churches. It just burns people out everywhere. I think, I think this is where the power is. Small, passionate, community-reaching churches. That's the future. People that love God and love the people they work with. That's the future. If you buy a couple of them, they're only 20 bucks. If you buy one, it hikes right up. But remember, don't focus on cost. Focus on value. God bless. Let's give Paul a hand. Um, just take your seats just for a sec. I want to thank Paul for coming all this way. Um, he's got enough on his calendar. I learned one thing about you today, Paul. It's, it's okay to tell you to get lost because <laughs> you quite enjoy it. That's good. I'll remember that. Um, hey, uh, there's probably three books that really changed my thinking or challenged me. For some of you who might not know me, I'm pastor here. I'm also mayor of, mayor of York Peninsula. And this was one of the books I read that made me rethink my place, how I could interact with my world. And this was one of them. Another one was called this, Paul, If Jesus Was Mayor. <laughs> and another, the third one was called Church at Community. Uh, great book. And uh, this really challenged, I got this about six years ago when it first came out. It gave a heap to our, our church and it really made me rethink let alone the other book on rethinking. Uh, if you think your if your concept of Christianity church is Sunday centric, this this will open up new things. It doesn't devalue what we do here on the Sunday, but it really it really thinks, hey, you only got you only got some of the story. So I really recommend that you grab hold of that. Um, you know, uh, a bit. Um, disappointed with you Paul you've given me some more work to do because I got here this morning and my teams come before we started church and they all come up with these good ideas oh, Darren we, we, we need to do this we need to do this and you know I thought we were doing okay but 
all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I, I, I might have to rethink what we've been doing. And I think that's awesome. Uh, I love that these ideas are coming up. Hey, what, what if we do this? What if we do this? What if we do this? And the problem was there wasn't a bad idea in the whole lot of them. And uh, I'm sure we'll have them and a lot more. And I think that's one of your things you do. You just help break open people for new possibilities. And I reckon you're God's gift to the church for that. And I really, really genuinely mean that. So let, let's give Paul a hand for coming. Um, well, yeah, if you are one of Paul's books, we've just got them on the counter just out there. And uh, yeah, grab hold of one if you want to. It'll be a blessing to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we could gather here today. As we go from this place, we go yeah, with a sense of mission, knowing that we're, we're your representatives, we're your ambassadors to wherever we go, Lord. We, we carry the Holy Spirit and your purpose with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to, hang around for a while. We've got coffee and uh, catch up in the foyer area. An important part of church is connecting with one another in that space. So um, if I don't see you, we'll see you next week. God bless your church.